Hey there. Thanks for tuning into Quirky HR. So if you're new here, I am Dana and I'm the host of Quirky HR. I own an HR consulting company. I teach HR and employment law classes at the college level. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics and really a good baseline topic for people who are new in human resources, um, new to the field, new to their career in HR. And that is the topic of employment at will. And it sometimes is used as a crutch, which we'll get into very much in depth. But before we do, I wanted to remind you that we have the quirky HR crew neck, pol- uh, crew neck sweatshirts, they're not polos, sweatshirts for sale over on our website. So if you go to bossconsultinghr.com forward slash shop, you can pre-order your crew neck. Those will be up until August 10th. After that, they're going to go away and you won't be able to get them um, for a while. So if you want to get yours, it's so comfortable. It's um, like a slate gray, really comfortable, really cozy, and it has quirky HR embroidered on the chest. And of course, every purchase goes to support the podcast and what we do here. So again, head over to bossconsultinghr.com forward slash shop, and you can get yours today. Okay, let's talk employment at will. And this is a really big topic, right? Employment at will is kind of the overarching uh, or the underarching foundation, I guess you could say, to many of the employment relationships here in the United States. Now, we're going to talk about it in the U.S. version, employment at will uh, from a USA component. But we should also recognize that the legal bounds of the employment at relation employment relationship can differ depending on the country that you are working in or practicing HR in. So as a disclaimer, this is not legal advice. I am not an attorney. And of course, you should always do your own research and uh, make sure that you are practicing HR within the bounds of the employment law that exists in your state, your country, your region, your city, whatever it may be. Okay, so let's talk about employment at will. So what is employment at will? So at will, or being an employee at will, means that the employer can terminate an employee at any time for any reason, as long as it is not illegal or discriminatory, with or without notice, right? So there's no legal obligation to give notice. There's no legal obligation to give a reason even, right? And that's what it means for an employer. On the flip side, it means that an employee is also free to leave a job at any time for any reason or no reason at all, with or without notice, right? So sometimes employers will want to require or demand two weeks notice or three weeks notice, or they'll say that two weeks notice is a law. Two weeks notice is generally a courtesy. So we want to be mindful of that, right? We can't have it on one side um, of the coin for employers to be able to freely terminate people without having it on the other side. 
Employment at law also means that an employer can change the terms and conditions of employment and of that employment relationship with no notice um, and really no consequences, no reason. So that might look like changing the wages, terminating benefits, reducing paid time off. So before we move on from here, I just want to address this idea of changing the terms and conditions of an employment relationship. So much of what we do in HR is a yes, you can or no, you can't, right? Yes, you can do that. No, you cannot do that. And so I think it's really important to recognize that yes, you can change the terms and conditions of employment with or without notice and without consequences, but should you? Should you is really the question here. So should you be just unilaterally changing benefits without giving employees ample notice to make arrangements? I have my own opinions on that. I'm sure some of you have opinions on that. I would love to hear them. I would say give employees as much notice as possible. But again, I would love to hear your opinions. Um, Employment at will is also not the same in every state. So most states in the U.S. are employment at will states. Um, Montana is the only state that it has employment at will, but it applies only for the first six months of the probationary period. So it basically means that an employer has six months to decide whether or not that employee is a good fit. Um, All the other states in the United States are employment at will with exception. And we're going to talk about those three exceptions. And I'll tell you, as a practitioner in human resources, I didn't know about these exceptions until I started teaching HR courses at the college level. So these are things that you want to be mindful of. So there's three exceptions to employment at will. And again, you want to make sure that you're checking the state that you're doing business in because not all states recognize every single one of these three exceptions. So the first one is called the public policy exception. And this is a common law exception to the at will relationship. And what the public policy exemption does is it protects employees against adverse action that violate public interest. So think about it um, the same way we would think about retaliation. So a common example would be an employer firing an employee because that employee failed to commit perjury. That's a very common example. So firing that employee is often viewed as retaliation because that employee didn't want to commit perjury. So that would be public policy if it's in the best interests of public policy. And to be fair, we have a lot of whistleblower laws that kind of further reinforce this employment at will and kind of that employment protection for bringing things forward that might be in the best interest of public policy. The second exception is the implied contract exception. And the implied contracts exception is recognized in 41 states and the District of Columbia. So you definitely want to um, check to see if your state is one of those. But even when they are recognized by a state, it can be difficult for an employee to 
prove. So an implied contract can be created in a couple of different ways. So it could be an oral assurance by a supervisor or an HR representative or a manager that basically says, oh yeah, we don't fire people here unless you really, really fuck up, right? Or as long as you do well here, you've got a job for life, right? Those are two examples of where there could be an implied contract. Likewise, an employer's handbook, policies, practices, or other written assurances can also create an implied contract. So one of the questions that we get all the time is, do I need a handbook? And generally speaking, you don't. But if you do, and they're good to have, right, because they give employees guidance and kind of the bounds that uh, the employment relationship exists in. But if you do have a handbook, you really want to ensure that there's reinforcement of employment at will throughout the handbook. So you'll often see in the beginning of a handbook, something along the lines of the policies and procedures in this handbook do not alter the employment at will relationship in any way, right? And even like a progressive discipline or a code of conduct policy, you want to make sure that those are not roadmaps, meaning in order for a written warning to happen, the employee has to be given an oral warning or a verbal warning first. And then in order for a second warning to happen, the employee has to have that first warning first, right? You want to be able that to, to practice management rights with progressive discipline and performance. And so making sure that those policies are written in a way that um, do not create an implied contract with your handbook is really important. That's why it's a really good idea to have someone write your handbook for you, an attorney, an HR consultant, because you can get handbooks off of the internet. But if you don't know what you're looking for, you can get in a lot of trouble. So that is my two cents on that. The third exception is um, the implied covenant of good faith. So is there a bad faith termination that is happening? So an example of um, bad faith termination would be an employer firing an older employee to avoid paying retirement benefits or terminating a salesman before a large commission on completed sales is payable. So that is just a an implied violation, I guess you would say, of good faith. So those are the three exceptions to employment at will. And again, you want to make sure that you are checking in uh, with the state that you are doing business in to make sure um, that you're following the laws that your state has. So what do you do when a manager or a business owner or the president, CEO, or whoever comes to you and says, I'm going to fire Samantha, or I want to fire Samantha, and they go on to say that they're frustrated and they're just not performing well and they show up late to work and they often take a lot of breaks and it just isn't working and they want to fire them. 
And you in your role as HR, you say, well, hold on, we may not just want to fire them. And then their response in return is, well, it's employment at will. Can I just fire them for any reason? Right? We want to take a step back and really assess the situation, right? So is there true policy violation happening? right? Is it something that you would want to move the employee through the progressive discipline system on? Or, and what we're seeing more and more and more of, are these performance issues that are a result or a symptom of ongoing mental health issues outside of work. So really, it's our duty as HR professionals to look into it to really dive deep and dig deep into why is this person being terminated or why is their push to be terminated? So I'll give you a a hypothetical, right? So let's say your boss comes to you and says, I want to hire, I want to fire Samantha. She's not performing and she, uh, she shows up late to work. I think she's drunk all the time. I, I can't rely on her. These performance issues just continue to happen, and I want to fire her. I would probably bet money that these performance issues have never been addressed before. So we want to look at it from an HR lens, right? So if the employee is struggling with alcohol, did they violate your policy? Did they show up to work drunk, intoxicated? Are they drinking on the job? Do you have an actual policy that prohibits it? You also want to look at, would this employee potentially be eligible for FMLA if they were to go in some type of treatment, right? Because that is some type of job-protected leave. We just ran into this with an employee that was having performance issues, and it was because they were um, a recovering alcoholic, and they had fallen off the wagon. And there was really an, a, a want to, to terminate. And we kind of had to dial it back to say, okay, well, they might be eligible for FMLA. And have they disclosed to you that they want to go to treatment? So again, our duty as HR is to dial it back and really assess the situation if there is truly an employment at will relationship or if there's other things at play here that might be affecting that situation. So a follow-up question to this is, what's the breaking point? Like, can I just never fire an employee? No, that's not the case, right? You can fire an employee, I've fired lots of people who just haven't been working out within their probationary period. So their first month, two months, three months is a common probationary period. And maybe they're just not picking up on the job, the training, and you decide that it's best to part ways at that point. So you can absolutely fire them at that point. Um, I've actually done that, and it's been a huge relief to the employee. They were seeing themselves being unsuccessful, but they felt this obligation that they had to stay employed because of bills, childcare, whatever it may be. And so oftentimes that can be viewed as kind of a relief to the person. 
especially if you can tell that they're not being successful and they can tell that they're not being successful. You can clearly terminate someone if there's been a significant violation of your policy. So back to the drinking example, I once worked at a a company and an employee was found to be drinking vodka in one of the closets. So she was witnessed by a manager to have been drinking um, on the job, on the clock. Um, I think she was drinking some Grey Goose, so it was not cheap vodka. And um, the employee would have been eligible for FMLA. And so our approach was we brought her into a meeting. We disclosed that drinking on the job is a terminal offense. And here is our policy. Here is the handbook that outlines that policy. And here is your signed acknowledgement that you received that handbook. One of the options is that you take a leave of absence in order to go into treatment. And the employee decided they didn't want to do treatment. So in that case, we terminated the employee. We gave them an opportunity to exert their FMLA rights, and they declined. And we documented it. We terminated the employee, and it was a very clean, clean termination. Making sure that your terminations are clean Um, by the book, within policy, within the bounds of the law, are really important from a unemployment and outside agency perspective. One of my favorite stories that I like to tell was very early on in my career. And it's a drinking story, which maybe I should be having a drink as I'm telling this story. But I worked... um, at a company and it was a hotel and it was a higher end hotel. So we had lots of very expensive wine that employees had access to. And an employee was found to be drinking on the job. This is a different employee. And so we terminated him. He was new in his uh, employment there and he was not eligible for FMLA. He had not been there for a year. So we terminated him. This employee then went on to file for unemployment, and this is um, this is in Rhode Island. So again, um, unemployment laws and regulations vary depending on your state. And this was back before COVID, so they used to call employers for statements when someone filed for unemployment. So I'd gotten a call from the hearing officer, and they wanted to know why this employee was terminated, and she. So she asked me that and I said, well, he was found to be drinking on the job. And so her response was, well, how did he know he wasn't supposed to be drinking on the job? And I kind of stumbled on my response. And I said, well, isn't it common sense? Like, isn't it common sense that someone shouldn't be drinking on the job? And her response was that, well, is there a policy that prohibits doing so? Because if there's not a policy that prohibits doing so, it's very challenging for an employer to defend against that termination in the eyes of unemployment, uh, wrongful termination. So you really want to be mindful of what do your policies say and are you holding firm to those policies? So that's 
employment at will in a nutshell with a funny story at the end. There's two great articles that we'll link in the show notes. Um, One is from the National Conference of State Legislature, and they detail the um, three exceptions to employment at will. And then the second is an article called The Employment at Will Doctrine, Three Major Exceptions by Charles Mull. I actually use this when I teach, um, and it's a great article that details the, the different exceptions. So we'll make sure both of those are linked in the show notes. And make sure you follow us. We're on Quirky HR Podcast on Instagram. Send us a message. We are always looking for guests, always looking for ways to connect with other HR professionals and people in this field. And with that, we'll catch you next time.